Alrighty, welcome back to another episode of In the Fire. This is episode, is it 71? 71. 71, wow, we're making it up there into the high double digits. Um, it's been a few weeks since episode 70, we've been busy, um, but we are excited for this episode to give you a nice Sunday prime time, uh, time slot for this one where we're recording. Um <laughs> It's a good time that worked for everyone because we wanted to get back into the fire. Um, Sunday night we in the fire. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that just sounds comforting, and we hope you are find some comfort in our podcast as well, listening to this. Um, <laughs> to all our listeners, Justin Thomas, how are you doing? I'm good. A little tired this evening, but happy to be here. The fire has a way of warming you up and uh, waking you up, so... <laughs> unless there's there's that delicate balance between if it's just warm it makes you even more tired but once it's piping hot that wakes you up <laughs> ah yes piping hot fire very nice <laughs> um i'm doing well thank you for asking also tired but mm-hmm. happy to be happy to be by the fire i should have a cup of tea with me but i don't we don't have time for that <laughs> um, <laughs> Hopefully the fire provides enough warmth for that. Um, at some point, when you get close enough to a fire, it will probably wake you up a little bit. Um, <laughs> whether by light or sheer hotness. Yes, <laughs> sheer pain. Um, but we're, we're happy to be recording another episode again, now that we have a chance to. And this week we're going to focus on the Lord's Supper or communion, as some of you might call it. Um, you know, we all we all take it in church for those who go to church uh, on a regular basis. Um, but I don't think like it's often talked about beyond just that brief time of communion where, you know, they give an overview of it and say the prayer and whatnot. Uh, it's not super common to hear sermons on it, I don't think. So we're going to dedicate an episode to it now, um, which I'm excited for. And I hope you guys are as well. Yeah, yeah. I think Let's it's a good it. one, and that that makes sense because yeah, most of the time you're just there, you uh, go through it, and I think it's one of the most common, probably one of the most common, like going through the motions kind of thing. Uh, go up there, get your bread, get your little grape juice, <laughs> and that's that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is that. Yep. So we'll give a little bit more time to it. Um, we're gonna first see. What Jesus has to say about the Lord's Supper by looking at the first Lord's Supper, which mm-hmm. is um, his supper, <laughs> yes. uh, the, also the Last Supper, if you will. Um, the first from, Last Supper. <laughs> the first Last Supper. I like that. Um, so we'll look at the book of Luke for that, and then we'll also see what Paul has to say about the Lord's Supper and the place and the role it has in the church and the importance that we should place on it ourselves um so without further ado we're going to go ahead and read from luke first luke chapter 22 verses 14 through 23 so justin would you mind starting us off by reading that out of luke 22 when the hour he sat down and the 12 apostles with him then he said to them with fervent desire i have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. (laughs) 
For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. He took bread, gave thanks and broke it, gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. But behold, the hand of my betrayer is with me on the table. And truly the Son of Man goes as has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. Then they began to question among themselves which of them it was who would do this thing. He, in those passages, is Jesus. He said, he said. (laughs) Thanks, Justin. And Jesus usually has a way with words, but I don't know if he um, just had a, a lapse in his vocabulary in verse 15 by saying with fervent desire i have desired to eat <laughs> i i like to imagine it's probably that a translation that. <laughs> or he was saying with fervent desire i have and then you know sometimes you're looking for a word but you can't quite find it and then you just you know like repeat the same word because you can't find a say maybe that's what mm-hmm. happened here he's human you know it's probably <laughs> A translation issue, because mine says, "I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you." Ah, that makes more sense. But I would understand. I would understand both scenarios. Um, it happens. Could happen literally to the best of us. Um, True. Jesus is human after all. Um, but thank you, Justin, for reading that. He himself. My yeah, pleasure. He is. He is Jesus. When you, if you. <laughs> You picked up on that one. What? To this. Um, no way. It also comes in a you know, um, you know, right before Jesus is arrested. Um, so it's a very dire timeline here. There's a lot going on outside of just this little meal that they the disciples have together. So that's why the you hear some talk about the betrayers uh, or the betrayer here in the last couple of verses. But we're gonna mostly mostly focus on the first verses in this passage. We may talk about the portrayer a little bit and how that fits into everything. Uh, but as some a bit of more context, so um, there is mention in, yeah, there are mentioned in these verses that this happens during Passover, also known as the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which celebrates uh, the journey of the children of Israel through the wilderness when following Passover and Exodus, they ate unleavened bread for 30 days which then was substituted by the manna, which Yahweh himself provided for them for the rest of their journey. So this is uh, a grand and important Old Testament, Old Covenant, and Jewish celebration. And it really celebrates the central act of redemption of the Old Testament, uh, which is the deliverance of Israel through the wilderness out of Egypt, which Jesus is about to fulfill and replace with his central and final and sufficient act of redemption of the New Testament which we can all, as we'll get to later, we can all participate in that and remember. Um, mm. Yes. A quick note, lamb is the main course of Passover. Um, there is no, actually no lamb. Oh, lamb. Lamb. <laughs> Even though it's called the Feast of Unleavened Bread, lamb is the main course of this feast, <laughs> um, which makes sense because that also represents the Old Covenant sacrifice for sins uh, and important Cool note that I, I picked up on here. Lamb is not mentioned in this passages because I think Jesus knows that his sacrifice would no longer require 
the sacrifice of lamb any longer. Um, mm, he, he is the lamb in this the lamb of life. Yes, he is. So he doesn't have to make reference yes. to another lamb. Yeah. <laughs> um, good point. So that's just some context. Uh, do you guys have, want to say anything that stood out to you in this passage here? I think mutton stood out to me in this passage. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think they ate that at this meal. It's cheap, isn't it? I don't know. My mistake, (laughs) Peter. Mutton. I think. um, I think it is. It's probably pretty close to lamb. So. I don't know what Um, it is, and I don't want to find out. The flesh of sheep. (laughs) Fair enough. Um, Well said. Well said. Uh, the thing that stuck out to me, uh, is, you know, probably I will not drink this cup until I drink it again in the next kingdom or until the kingdom of God comes. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think it's, it's like, this is Jesus's last meal before he's taken and sacrificed. And so it's, he's like, this is the last time meal I'm going to eat here on earth. And then, I guess he had the sour wine meal. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this is the, this is gonna be the last like meal he has with his friends here on Earth before he goes up um, on the cross, gets resurrected, and then as we don't, he goes. I don't know if he eats anything. Probably doesn't have Passover, but I don't know. It's it's a cool establishment of the new covenant, and he's like, this will happen when the kingdom of God is established in final. I don't know. It's, uh, it's a cool hope. I had a cool note on this little, on those verses as well, Thomas. Uh, my Bible gives a cross-reference on those. So twenty-two sixteen in Luke, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled. Uh, my Bible says in the kingdom to come, when final victory is celebrated, Jesus again will eat. And it references me to Revelation 19, Chapter 19, verse 9, which uh, reads, he said to me, Right, blessed are those called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. So it talks about the marriage supper. And why don't I read the footnotes on those verses? Uh, It talks about how, you know, when these events of Revelation unfold and the kingdom of God fully comes and, you know, unleashed, I suppose, uh, there will be a joyous feasting to be enjoyed by the church and especially by the newcomers who will reign with Christ. So mm-hmm. wedding banquet is how it is described in Revelation. And uh, that seems to be what is referred to here by Jesus in Luke 22 when he says he will not eat again until this feast. So we have that feast to look forward to. And I'm sure Jesus is looking forward to it because I am thinking he'll be getting hungry. <laughs> He's gotta be hungry. He's eaten in thousands of years. <laughs> True. We we think um he fervently desires to have this feast with him here. Think about how fervently he desires to have it when finally the kingdom of God comes. In <laughs> mm-hmm. its completion too. Yes. That is cool. <laughs> yes. Um I like that a lot and there are a couple promises that are made here. Um, one, you know, Jesus says he represent, or presents this as, as a new covenant, which is something not to be taken lightly because only God can make covenants with his people. 
Mm. And so um, it's, it's a very powerful thing here when you have a human making a new covenant, a covenant um, with the church, with uh, his followers, um, and ultimately for us too, because you know, that signifies you know, he's not just a human, he's God as well. And there's a lot of weight and importance in that promise and that covenant. And then also the promise that he will not eat of it or drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes again, which I like. And I do think that signifies that it's just the beginning of things to come. It's the last supper, but it's the, the first last supper. And then you have Jesus won't participate in again until, um, until all his children are with him in heaven to have this feast again. So it will be a great celebration when we can have, you know, the full, uh, complete church body of Christ united with Jesus uh, himself so that nobody is left out. And so I do imagine that he is fervently desiring that as well. Yeah. And I think uh, that verse, verse 18, uh, or I guess 16 and 18, but I will not drink the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. There's, I think promises in there there's a promise within a promise there's the promise of this feast and celebration at the end but there's also the promise that the kingdom of god comes because in order for that celebration to happen the kingdom of god must come true uh, i also will note that episode 61 of in the fire the five covenants uh might be worth a listen after uh you listen to this episode so yes it's a good one mm-hmm. yeah yeah, for before this episode. Um, now, obviously, you have already listened to it. Of course. <laughs> yes. yes, of course. <laughs> and you probably took such meticulous notes that you remember it so well. Yeah, mm, yeah. absolutely. You have a notebook of all in the fire podcasts mm-hmm. and all the wisdom <laughs> that is set upon these recordings. Exactly. Um, something yeah. cool that you mentioned at the beginning. Peter, uh, was kind of how that this was a Jewish like feast. Um, I think it it also this speaks a lot to Jesus being the fulfillment of the law, um, in like being like this is God's plan for the people of Israel, just as it's His plan for for all people, and that like with Exodus that led into like that covenant. Um, and this being the new one is just, it's really cool that it also happens during the same feast. So like we, we celebrate Passover, like, I guess technically once a month or once a week, depending on your church. Um, like, and we, we, we celebrate it as Jesus with, whereas, um, Jews still celebrate Passover and it's a very, it's still a very big feast very important to their faith and their tradition but you know it's and they celebrate it every year when we celebrate easter um and i think it's really cool how god ties jesus's new covenant to the old covenant in exodus and how it's like it is it's like the same thing it's like here's the old covenant and this is what the old covenant didn't cover because it wasn't with jesus or it wasn't with god's son wasn't with jesus and here it is with the son of God being the final sacrifice ever to be needed. And then now we can take it and remember of that sacrifice for us and look towards a future when we're going to be in the kingdom of God. 
And I think it's, it's just really cool that both Christians and Jews celebrate the Passover, but for two different reasons. And it can really speak to how Christianity is the ultimate fulfillment of like ancient Israel and the Hebrews. Yeah. There are some far deeper underpinnings to all of this. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, Thomas, I couldn't have said that better myself if I could like transcribe everything you just said there and, <laughs> and um, like put it to paper like that. It's um, summarizes and, Every, like everything I wanted to in this podcast. Um, so we will end there. What? <laughs> just <kidding>. No. <laughs> just <laughs> just I know you. I know you have more stuff here. I'm looking at the outline. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I kid. I kid. Um, but it is. It is really cool. The timing of this that, um, like, this feast is happens, or you know, during Passover. Um, and I was reading up on some historical context and there are some different, this is, um, these verses in Luke, uh, or this event in Luke, the last supper is also in all the other gospels. Um, but some of the timing is a little different and that's mostly attributed to difference differences in calendars, but also, um, the main gist is that this still happens <laughs> during Passover, whether it's like on the night of the same feast or the night before um, that differs depending on, I guess, the calendar you use, um, which I learned about, but yes, it is uh, fitting that on Passover, which celebrates the old covenant and um, remembers that and the deliverance of the children of Israel out of Egypt, this new covenant, it really and the Last Supper really takes to heart the idea of, you know, what Jesus came to fulfill the Old Testament. And this is just another clear example of that happening, um, which we have talked about in so many other episodes. Uh, but yes, I think the bread is a great, the bread itself, the breaking of the bread and eating that in remembrance of Jesus uh, is a great representation of Jesus fulfilling the Old Testament. Um, because when you have the bread in Passover, that represents and commemorates the affliction which the Israelites faced in Egypt and God's provision through that. Um, but now you have Jesus completely redefining the bread as freedom and victory over sins that we are to take part of now through Jesus's affliction, uh, his own affliction. So you have two different types of affliction there. Um, and then you have just the ultimate fulfillment of, of the Old Testament by Jesus you know, giving up his body, um, which we can now commemorate and have you know, freedom and victory and celebration over, but also to take in the importance and weight um, and everything that Jesus had to go through to get to that, to offer that for us. Um, so yeah, it really is, really is special and obviously it should be eaten and drinking with great importance. Um, but yeah, I just love how um, it supplements and just totally fulfills the Old Testament um, Passover, the idea of the Old Covenant and what that, what the bread meant then versus what it means now. Yeah, I think um, to bounce off of that, the the depths to which this passage goes, and I think there are, I mean, even depths that we probably can't think of on the spot here, but like what you guys are talking about now and you know, with everything that's about to happen 
on the timeline here of when this dinner takes place in history and uh, what's going about to happen to Jesus, what Jesus is, uh, you know, bringing up in Passover and everything that entails. I think it makes the end of what we read in, these, in this passage kind of sad, almost like kind of tragic. Um, and I was going to mention the, the contrast between what we see at the beginning and then the last verse, verse 23, where, you know, we have Jesus who is clearly fully aware of this moment and what this means. And he is definitely trying to convey that to his disciples. Um, you know, the fact that this takes place at Passover, the fact that in verse 20, he establishes it, like he says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. That's a big deal right there. Um, and then he talks about his betrayer being with him there at the table. And then verse 23 to me just almost feels out of place. But then the day the disciples began to question among themselves, which one of them is the betrayer? Almost like they entirely missed the point of this. Yeah, I don't know if that's true. I'm sure at a certain level they understood what was happening, but I think the human, the fully human part of them, missed what Jesus was maybe trying to get across. And I wonder how often we do that, like specifically with, <laughs> with communion at church and with, you know, when we celebrate this, how we, I mean, how often have any of us thought of everything that this entails? For myself, probably never. Um, and I feel like the disciples are, I, I feel like what we see in verse 23, which again, I'm sure it's not the whole story, but it would be a bit, a little bit of a letdown. I mean, you can imagine situations in our lives now that don't rise to nearly this grand scale where, you know, we're with friends or with family and we're trying to, you know, get some important point across or, uh, you know, bring some significance to something that we're trying to do with, with everyone, but some people just aren't taking it seriously, you know, and it's disappointing. Um, and in verse 23, I feel like Jesus would be a little disappointed to hear that and see that. And then actually the next chunk of verses in my Bible, the header is the disciples argue over who is the greatest <laughs> immediately. After. I don't know. Yeah. I, I just... You know, with everything you guys just talked about and with what we know this means to see that the disciples reacted in that way, it's kind of sad to me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, especially <laughs> yeah, in these, these are consecutive sentences when Jesus says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. But behold, the hand of my betrayer is with me on the table. And truly the son of man goes, at it, goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he has betrayed. Uh, by whom by whom he is betrayed um which it is yeah it's sad that like while this is this grand thing is happening this grand thing that carries over i mean in you know the uh the lord's supper that is that carries over to today which we still celebrate um on a regular basis um but at the same time yeah you have these disciples questioning themselves not uh, questioning among themselves not really taking to heart or exactly is the weight and significance of this. Um, yeah, it is, it is sad. And I, I felt the same way. I think everyone should, who understands this should under, should feel the same way when they read the last few verses of this, of this passage. Yeah. It's a theme that I think carries on, you know, if we get into, 
what happens in the following hours after this, you know, when Jesus is in the garden and he's praying and the disciples are asleep. Mm -hmm. You know, this theme kind of carries on and almost to the point where they don't realize what's happening until it's happened. Um, Mm. And, you know, obviously what happened is it's what makes it such a, like, incredibly amazing thing that happened, but also an incredibly tragic thing that happened uh, to see. And this maybe is where it starts off, you know? Um, Yeah. That's very interesting. Yeah. It's definitely, yeah. Tragic is a good word for it. Um, And these things had to happen though. I think (laughs) the first 22 hits that clearly and truly the son of man goes as it has, goes as it has been determined but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed like it's like yeah under god's providence this happens so that jesus can be um can be executed and die for our sins and rise again mm-hmm. but still woe to that man by whom he is betrayed because it is still sad and tragic to see these people who are so close to jesus um betray him leave him not be with him um during this time because it is that you the reading about the him at the garden um, or just him overall in these last few days, it seems like he is at his loneliest um, when mm. there's you know, such an important matter is at hand. That Especially in the garden. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. It goes to his the garden. disciples three times. Pray with me. And then they take a nap instead. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think that also gives more power and significance to what the body and bread represent itself and um, just the, the weight of the sacrifice that Jesus, um, Jesus sacrifice, Jesus did for us and everything that he had to go through um, to make it so that we can have such a, a thing to remember, such a new covenant to remember and partake in. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So we can um, now go ahead and let's move on to well, first. I have, I have one more quick thing to say before we do. Yeah. And <laughs> sorry. <then> we, <laughs> no, sorry. I cut that um, off quickly. Go for it. it. it it's a covenant uh, between the, just uh, covenantal information. Um, a lot of times like in, in a covenant in like in, in the ancient. And what you would do is you'd give up what you'd be willing to lose if the covenant was broken. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Abraham gets circumcised, uh, meaning that like his, his, his lineage would be, is like what the covenant is contingent upon. Right. Um, Cause if by Abraham's faith, God is going to bless the nations um, through his mm-hmm. lineage. And so that was, so that, so there you go with that. And then here, uh, Jesus says, it, the, the cup is my blood. And that is what he lost in order for the covenant to come to fruition. And I think, yeah, it's kind of cool. His blood was spilt and the cup was his blood is the new covenant. And that's what he was willing to do. Yeah. And on um, the flip side, uh, do we give up? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> yeah. It's and a both. unique covenant. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That is a really neat way to look at it. Um, I really like that. And to just understand the um, 
the power of covenants going back to, you know, there's all the five covenants, but, um, and the impact that they can have in our lives, especially, you know, this, this covenant here. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that what all that Jesus had to give up so that we can freely accept the gift of salvation. Um, Indeed. Yeah. And so it's kind of in that same vein, moving on to, we, uh, do you guys have anything else to say? Not for me. I'm all, all right. All right. Yeah. So moving on to First Corinthians, this is uh, bridges over well because I mean these verses in First Corinthians, you know, Paul references what Jesus says about um, about the body and the, the body and the blood. So there'll be some repeat verses here, but also just the idea of how can we take this seriously? Um, we saw the last few verses of the passages, passages, passage in Luke, um, as we talked about, you know, you see tragically, sadly, the disciples kind of not taking this seriously or fully understanding it. So how can we as the church do that um, is kind of what Paul is getting at in these verses in First Corinthians. So we're going to go ahead and read that. First Corinthians chapter 11, 17 through 33. Thomas, do you want to read 17 through um 25 and then i will take the rest yeah i can do that all right, all right. first corinthians 7 25 the lord's supper but in the following instructions i do not command commend you because when you were together it is not for the better but for what for the worst for in the first place when you come together as a church i hear that there are divisions among you and i believe it in part for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's supper you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead of his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we judge, for if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the, with the world. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, Wait for one another. But if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment, and the rest I will set in order when I come. Mm. It's kind of a convicting passage. It is very convicting. And I think, (laughs) you know, that's the point Paul wanted to get across um, talking to the church at Corinth, the Corinthians, who seemed to be acting pretty selfishly um, when they're partaking in the Lord's Supper, and they don't really seem to do it with the weight and significance and um, 
respect that it deserves and the true participation that it um, that it is required to, I think, partake in it. Um, so yeah, is there anything that stands out to you guys in these verses? Um, for me, I think it's the beginning. Um, and I th- obviously they're celebrating this differently than we celebrate it today um because it said in 21 for an eating each one goes ahead with his own meal is hungry another gets drunk what do you not have houses to eat or drink in or do you despise the church of god and humiliate those who have nothing um and this is this probably stems from a deeper problem in, in the corinthian church where you have people bring their own meal to the Lord's supper and to like, it's like a a fellowship meal after they meet together on the Sabbath, Um, technically called a love feast um, during the time or the agape feast. And, and so you have people bringing their own stuff and it's like, well, this dude like brings a full meal and he doesn't share and he just has it on his own and, and et cetera. And so it's, you have people who are not caring for the needs of everybody in the church, but are still coming to the agape feast for the food and making a big deal of that. When in, when in reality, kind of, as you said, Peter, it's um, they're not honoring the Lord in the feast. They're honoring their food in the feast. Um, and so I think it's like, go eat at home <laughs> and then come together for community. So nobody is ostracized. Um, and also when you come together and do it together, make sure Jesus is the center. Yeah. And I think that Jesus at the center, like it, this gets to unity. Um, almost like, you know, asking for common respect among these believers and unity. And, and, you know, all coming together here. And I, I don't really, I don't think I've really ever thought of the Lord's Supper in that way before. Something that is like unifying is the word. I, you know, I guess it's true when I when I take it at church, um, and there's time to reflect after you've taken communion. What do I normally think about myself and how I relate to God? I don't think I look to that broader scope of. And obviously, I mean, uh, like culturally, and things have changed since uh, at this time when Paul is writing. I don't think I've ever looked at it in that communal way before Mm. at any point in my life, you know, it's a time for me to take it and think about how I relate to God. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think it's very personal. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Peter. No, go ahead, Thomas. I think there's a very personal uh, response in the way that churches take it these days um, where, because each person goes up and gets their own, body and blood which and there is that that. side to it there's that side to it also for sure but Mm -hmm. um when you bypass this part of it uh, yes no i think you're absolutely right Mm -hmm. yeah there i think two i tried to break this passage down into like two problems that paul was getting at one is the like unity in the church and the other one is like examining yourself um in your heart Mm -hmm. before you do it before you partake in this um, so it's like people already partake in it, but how they are doing it, and um, uh, in the yeah, in the first issue is trying to put Jesus at the center of it, um, which I think is also you know, part of the the second issue that Paul brings up. 
but I think you can separate them out a little bit. But on the first one, uh, I totally agree that, yeah, it's not like growing up. I, I can also agree that it doesn't feel like communion is a um, church-wide thing that you participate in together. Uh, I've Yeah, I often view it as, and have experienced it, or you each one, like you walk up, get the bread, grab the cup um, by yourself, and then, yes, it's just like dedicated time of reverence um, and prayer uh, with everyone by themselves, and then... Um, and then, yeah, eating and drinking it by yourself, which I think is important. And obviously it is important and to have that time of prayer to really um, talk to God and feel the importance and significance of Jesus' sacrifice for us. But one thing I experienced anew, something new, was the Sunday before last at, uh, at, uh, at Stonebridge, at our, my church my parents go to, and we go to, uh, I go to, go, go to growing up for a couple of years, um, is that they had us eat the bread separately, like alone on our own, and then together we drank the, the blood together. Um, mm. And so I like that because that's really the first time I really felt the idea of being the church being united through the partaking of the Lord's Supper. Yeah, um, which I really liked, um, and I really think yeah, there is an importance of that. Obviously, because sometimes you can lose sight of that, as the Corinthians seem to do here. They were, um, yeah, as Thomas, Thomas went into a bit of the history, they were eating their common meals uh, or their agape meals together, and they were combining that with an observance of the Lord's Supper as well, which I don't think is, I mean, it's not the practice, common practice today. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, because I think it was modeled after the number of times Jesus ate meals with his disciples. And I think it was a way to increase fellowship. But the way they went about it, they definitely lose sight of the importance of it all and putting Jesus at the center. And they seem to treat it more as a selfish way to indulge in food um, and drink and alcohol. A lot of them sound like we're getting drunk, which is not a way to participate in the Lord's Supper. Um, <laughs> it, would and... take, it would take a lot for us, a lot of those little tiny cups to <laughs> get to them with. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it seemed that they had an unnecessary surplus of that, um, probably for the wrong reasons. <laughs> um, yes, that would take, I can't imagine how many that would take. Um, hey, Jimmy, <laughs> give me some more blood. <laughs> <laughs> so you can see them taking it out of hand here. And also, it sounds like there are divisions, maybe socioeconomically, where you know, some are withholding food from other people, um, which is definitely not the way um, any any type of fellowship with the body of Christ should be um, should be practiced, and especially not when the Lord's Supper is being practiced as well. So that's Absolutely. yeah, that's definitely the I think one of the first issues in this, or the first issue that Paul is getting at here. Mm-hmm. I absolutely agree. Mm-hmm. And the second issue is uh, the idea of examining yourself and not taking it if you're unworthy of taking the, um, or not not eating and drinking in an unworthy manner, because um, none of us technically are deserving of what Jesus did for us. But um, to make sure that our hearts are prepared to take the Lord's Supper is super important, and why many 
every church I've been to says that if you're not a believer, you should not participate in the Lord's Supper yet. And so mm-hmm. I think the last half of this passage here gets at that. And again, I think it goes back to putting the focus on Jesus, like the first issue Paul presents, it does. Um, and I think Paul does that by referencing word for word what Jesus said about the Lord's Supper in verses 23. Um, let's see. Verses, yeah, 23 through 26, essentially. Um, mm-hmm. He brings it, brings the focus back to Jesus and um, and and then goes on to say that you know only through an inner transformation of our hearts can the blood of Christ wash us clean and allow us to sit with Him in all our meals. And so that inner transformation, I think, occurs first before we can really participate in the Lord's Supper. Um, and I really like the verses, verse twenty-six, which says, "For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till He comes." So Paul is saying that by doing this, you proclaim the Lord's death. Um, which I, I like the word proclaim because I think that means that you're like you're championing it, you're celebrating the Lord's death, you're announcing it. Yes, this is true. I believe it. And to believe that, you must have faith um, in what actually in the sacrifice of Jesus in the bread and the blood. And then that goes on in the next verse, which I think further shows the importance of that verse 26, in which we proclaim the Lord's death till it comes. Because the next word in uh, which is in verse 27, it's therefore, which I think you know, connects tw- verse 26 to what Paul continues to say here, which is therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Um, and so I think, you know, those are, those are powerful, strong words that he uses here, but definitely the act of proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes again is not to be taken lightly or misused. Mm. Um, and that definitely carries through to the rest of this passage. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I was going to bring up verse 26, too, because that struck me, like, proclaiming the Lord's death. Um, it just feels like, it feels unnatural to proclaim the death, like like you were saying, Peter, like, champion that death of someone. But I think, you know, that's almost maybe the point of, of saying it in this way. Um, I mean, how many other religions and faiths out there are like centered around the the death of <laughs> their savior largest yeah, prophet. You know? <laughs> yeah it's yeah, when savior. you think about that it it's so unique and and then ultimately the death and resurrection and uh, there's more to it but i know it's just you know i think that's a lot of christianity is uh unnatural to the way the world thinks and this, I think, is a big example of it. Again, it's kind of a tragic one, but a very deep and meaningful one. Indeed. Um, and, you know, the operative here, until he comes. <laughs> yes. Yep. Right. Yep. Like, mm-hmm. he, he rose again from the dead. He said he's coming again. And we fix our eyes upon him and his promises. Yeah. And I like that. That's really mm-hmm. cool. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. It's almost taking of the bread and uh, yeah, the body and blood of Christ um, is in part historical, remembering what Jesus has done for us, um, but also looking to the future, which are really both to God's promises of 
um, bringing a savior into this world. Um, but also the promise that Jesus made also made in, in the first, in the, in the first last supper, um, when he says that he will not partake in this again until the kingdom of God is, is come, um, which is the reference here, um, in that, in that verse 26, and that we continued, that we will continue to, um, celebrate the Lord's supper until Jesus comes again. Um, which is when Jesus will then partake in it again, which I think is pretty cool. Um, yeah, that's like backwards looking and forwards looking, and it has such significance to us that it should not be taken lightly, which I think is why, um, yeah, it wouldn't make sense if you don't actually believe and have faith, saving faith in the sacrifice of Jesus and his death and resurrection and victory over sins. It just would seem like malpractice, like in the definition of the word, like practicing it in the wrong way to partake in the Lord's Supper. Um, if you don't fully understand that deep significance of it. Yeah. And I, I wonder, like, the this supper to the feast that's talked about in Revelation, like the change in emotion that uh, if we were present at both, we would see. I think the first one, the one we're talking about today, it's this like somber beauty to it. Um, like that's what I'd imagine it would be like being there and hearing Jesus say the words that he says uh, that we read in Luke. But then the wedding feast in Revelation, just celebration and joy and yeah, everything has been fulfilled. And um, so, but it's the same, same kind of feast that we're going to see. And, but I don't know, it would just have a different feel to it if that makes sense <laughs> yeah definitely would um one other thing i wanted to add is in the previous chapter in first corinthians first corinthians 10 verses 16 through 17 reference um the uh, or say that we are participating in the body and blood of christ through communion and so i like that word participating Mm. Um, because it means you know sharing in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ when we take communion, and that has to come through believing in it. Um, if you really want to, if you participate in it, because we can only through believing and having faith um, can we, you know, can that grace be for us, um, and it can be for us, and that's why we participate in communion when it is for us, and we can share and all that Jesus has done for us and recognize the, the deep, the power and impact and, uh, of, of the resurrection, death and resurrection and everything that Jesus had to go through, um, during that time. And that, you know, that ties back into that somber mood that was painted in Luke 22. Um, when this is, you know, Jesus is doing this amid some of his most loneliest moments on earth. Um, and most painful moments by far that people have to experience. Yeah. But yeah. And that's why there is a somber mood um, and a heavy mood when we take communion, but also it is so special because we can share in what Jesus has done. And that resurrection through the body and blood of Christ being sacrificed is for us, which I think is, is really special. Mm -hmm. yeah, I love it. Absolutely. Yeah. Do you guys have any final thoughts you want us to add? I do not. Another good episode. 
I have I have none. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, I can go ahead and close down in prayer. I appreciated uh, so much doing this episode with you all. And okay. yeah, so did I. Let's <laughs> let us pray. Uh, dear Father, thank you for this uh, wonderful opportunity to record another episode of In the Fire. Uh, may we continue to just grow closer to you, and may your um, your word and your identity and everything else about you just uh, continue to work in us and um, enlighten our minds to know more of you and fill us with the right words to say during these podcasts. Um, and may we just continue uh, when we practice communion and on the daily when we don't practice communion to just understand and remember um, and truly feel the impact and importance of your death and resurrection on the cross to offer us salvation where we never take that lightly or for granted. And may we always, always in everything we do um, and when we read your word and focus on you, may we all uh, try to connect it to you, Jesus, um, all the more. And we pray that we have, I pray that we have good weeks going forward and that um, our listeners do as well. And in your name I pray, amen. 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 All right, Thomas. How can our listeners find us? I do this the least. Hopefully, I get it right. (laughs) (laughs) There are two main ways that our belovedly devoted listeners uh, can reach us. One of them is through email, and it is three in the fire at gmail.com the number three spelled out t-h-r-double-e um and we also no and no no the number three (laughs) is the number three it is it is actually not spelled out um i i gave you misinformation and it's been a while the that's our instagram right Uh, not quite, not quite. Nope, guys. <laughs> I, Justin. <laughs> All right, seven. I'm the wrong go. person to ask. <laughs> uh, if you want to reach us, there are there are two main ways you can go. It's our uh, email. That is uh, three in the fire at gmail dot. The number three, in the fire at gmail dot com. In the fire is spelled out. The number three is not. The number three, and, as in the number three key. <laughs> And then our Instagram is in the fire podcast. Simple. Uh, just how we like it. And we would love to hear from you. If you have ideas for topics, you have comments on our episodes. Um, we want to hear from you. So reach out, get in touch. And uh, we appreciate your listening and your communication. That we do. Um, and yeah, we'd love to hear from you. And um, thank you for Thank you this for an episode, and we hope you guys all have great weeks, and we will talk to you on the next episode of In the Fire. Everyone take care. Adios. Take care.